Listener supported. WNYC Studios. So many white guys. So many. So many white guys. So white. How much whiteness? All over the place. God damn. Welcome to So Many White Guys from WNYC Studios. I'm your host, Phoebe Robinson, and I'm here with my boo, my side piece, Miss Joni Mitch. Hi. How are you? You know what? I left my house today. I put on my all-natch deodorant. And let me tell you, it's worn off already. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I was trying to use all-natural deodorant, and... yeah. It's going to be a no-go for me. That's a no for me, dog. I I went all the way to the crystal. I went all the way to the edge of the spectrum, and I said, I got to just come right back. Yeah. The thing is, I think my dad uses all-match, like, crystal deodorant or whatever. Yeah. He never has BO. So maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm always in a natural state of BO, and I just need to embrace it. I feel like it's also maybe New York- life yeah you're hustling yeah you're moving yeah or maybe you just have bo (laughs) i love how you try to make it positive you're like no you probably just stink (laughs) oh i have to keep doing it until it you know officially is trademarked by cardi b and i can't do it anymore until we get a lawsuit yeah do you think she will listen to so many white guys no Okay, guys, so this is the call to action. We got to get Cardi B listening and posting about so many white guys. She could listen to us while she's getting her hair done, while she's eating dinner, and then just do a cute little Insta story. You can write your own tweet. You could be like, Phoebes and Joni Mitch, really great show. That's not a good tweet. (laughs) Needs some punch. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Cardi B. (laughs) Great. Done. Joni Mitch, I have a question for you. Ooh, hit me. Are you really good in the kitchen? That's kitchen. I'm terrible. You are? Yeah, I don't cook. It's bad. I used to, I can do eggs really well. That doesn't count. (laughs) Everyone can make eggs. Boo. Not like me. What do you make? Eggs Florentine? Eggs Benedict? Scrambled. <laughs> Just dry ass scrambled eggs. I'm pretty limited in the kitchen. Yeah, I don't cook either. I love British Bake Off to all the cooking. Really? Wait, did you have home ec class at your school? Yeah. Did yeah, you yeah. take it? Yeah, I took that. <laughs> I took Woodshop. Shut up. Yeah. All of the boys in our Woodshop like, made bongs. They made like little <laughs> weed pipes and then... Somehow got away with it yeah. and would, like, make up. They would say it was a sculpture. Yeah. Um, what did you make in your wood shop? I think it was, like, a, a simple toy. Like, it wasn't, like, it wasn't anything cool like a bong. Like, <laughs> our bong's cool. I don't know. I'm a square. So I'm like, that sounds really cool. But, uh, yeah. And then home ec, I remember just sort of, like, being like, what's the point of this? Yeah. I have... No intention of ever cooking for anyone that I date. And I feel like I've 
stuck true to that. You showed them. <laughs> Take that, home economics. <laughs> I'm not I'm not gonna be a homemaker, bitches. But I do love doing laundry. That is my jam. I love doing laundry. Really? Love it. So soothing. Do you love folding? Mm-hmm. Oh, I hate folding. Mm-hmm. Um So the last thing you cooked was when? I mean, I made a salad for myself the other night. <laughs> you know, I've never seen a Top Chef challenge. <laughs> You're up for elimination. Make a sweet salad with musculin or mescaline. It was arugula, actually. Uh, oh, <laughs> Neither of us know how to cook anything except for eggs. <laughs> what, are we even people? I know. <laughs> Okay, what if we do this? Let's take a cooking class together. I would love that. I would do that. Okay, guys, the call to action on this is there are a lot of call to actions, but hey, you got to do it. Tweet at Joni and I suggestions for the types of cooking classes we should take. And then you know what? We'll take one and then we'll update you on how it went. I love this. That's cute. I'm so into this. All right, guys, you know what? Do you know what's going on? What's going on, Phoebe? A commercial break. Ooh. (laughs) (laughs) For those ASMR listeners out there. Everyone is turned off. <laughs> Cardi B is like, oh, I'm in. I'm in. She loves it. <laughs> She's our number one fan now. <laughs> okay, so you know what? We're trash in the kitchen, but guess who's not? our guest today. And if you've watched Top Chef, which just ended its 16th season, you would know that Pama is the motherfucking best. Please pack your knives and go. She has been nominated for an Emmy for her work on the show. She's also a writer who has written so many cookbooks in a memoir called Love, Loss, and What We Ate. She also co-founded the Endometriosis Foundation of America, which gets the word out about endometriosis and encourages research on it. It was something that she has personally struggled with. I'm so amazed by her work on that. I feel actually a lot of my friends have been diagnosed with endometriosis lately, too. And it's like, nobody talks about it. It's great that, like, she decided I'm going to be the face of this and make people pay attention. And guess what people are? Yeah, totally. I I love her. Um, And on top of that, Mm -hmm. she also works with the ACLU on immigration issues, and she's also an immigrant herself, so she's very, very passionate about it. Mm -hmm. Plus, get this, you guys. Right when we recorded the interview, it was announced that she has become a Goodwill ambassador for the UN. That is huge. I thought you were going to go, that is the United Nations. (laughs) (laughs) For those of you who don't know. That is the United Nations, you fucking idiots. (laughs) Okay, so you guys, Pama, she came to our studios, and she is so damn cool. She remember all the nightclubs that used to be around here when she was a kid growing up in Manhattan. And you know what, Joni? We couldn't stop talking about her jumpsuit. It was incredible. It was forest green. 
It had like a Bond girl energy. Yes. Yeah. It oh was fantastic. God. It kind of looked like she was going to like leave the studio and hop on a motorcycle <laughs> to go like save the world or something. <laughs> Could you imagine our guests like rolling up to like WYC on a fucking motorcycle? They like toss their helmet <laughs> to like Brian Lehrer. <laughs> Anyway, Pama is an inspiration, a crazy intelligent woman who's passionate about food, passionate about making women's lives better, passionate about improving the way that immigrants are viewed in the world. She's just an all-around good-ass fucking person, and y'all are going to love this damn interview. So buckle up, put on, you know, a pan of hot eggs, and get ready for a great interview. God damn. I used to go dancing all. You did around here, yeah. Oh, you're so cool. <laughs> I'm not that cool. I used to go to SOBs. Oh, okay, nice. Um, there was one night a month that was basement bangra, and my Ooh. girlfriend DJed, and it was like an institution for all the brown people. Yeah, <laughs> in, in in the tri-state area. Yeah, it's like a big old hot sweaty school dance for like doctoral students. That's so cool. <laughs> Well, Padma. Hello. Thank you so much for doing this. Um, So Many White Guys is such a fun show, and it's because of people like you that it exists. So thank you for coming in today. Wow, thank you. Because yeah. <laughs> it's true, I have had that thought a lot. So many white guys. Right? Yeah. <laughs> it's fine, you know, everybody yeah. has their day in the sun. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, it lasted the, a long time, though. This yeah. <laughs> it's like, don't they want to take a break, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. um, well, there's so much to talk to you about, um, but I want to start with probably how like a lot of people came to know you, certainly myself, as through Top Chef, which just completed a 16th season, which, yes. Yes. Amazing. It's very, very exciting. Thank you. Um, and so, you know, you're so known for food. You host a show about food. Like, you're very passionate about it. When did it first become a thing where you're like, oh, I think this, I want this to now be the direction of my life? You know, I was lucky because I just wrote a cookbook. But the cookbook didn't come out till my late 20s. And, you know, I felt very intimidated because it was something I always loved to do, but I didn't go to culinary school. I mm-hmm. certainly never worked in the, you know, in the kitchen of a restaurant as a chef or sous chef or whatever. So, you know, for me, I was very thankful and couldn't believe my luck, but I was also very reluctant. Um, but then I took what work came to me mm-hmm. is the truth. You know, there was a moment in my life for even like when I was 30, where I was, you know, writing a column for the New York Times Syndicate. I had a column in Harper's Bazaar. I was still auditioning as an actress. I would still go up for the occasional modeling job. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I just, I hustled. I did what came to me that I thought was great. And then the work just took over in food. You know, that's the honest answer. It wasn't yeah. like a light bulb moment. It was like, okay, this is what, you know, I always believe you should push against the open door, you know, Mm, like don't, uh sometimes life has a way of telling you which way to go and don't make it harder on yourself. And I always tell young people, if you, you know, if you can find what you love and a profession to meet, that is the ideal goal. Yeah. And without knowing that, I've been lucky enough to do that. 
What has it been like? Because you just said like you didn't, you know, go to culinary school, like you didn't come up through restaurants. Were the people who kind of like bristled at like, oh, who is this like, quote unquote, outsider now involved in the world of food? And like, how did you how did you educate yourself if you didn't come up through like traditional paths? Well, I just I, you know, I've traveled a lot and Mm -hmm. I do know how to cook. I've cooked all my life. And I was lucky enough in my 20s to be able to travel all over the world Mm -hmm. and mostly live in Europe, which is where I really learned about European cooking technique. You know, what is the difference between a brunoise and a julienne? Mm -hmm. You know, what does it mean to, you know, sous vide something or or not? Um, I did feel intimidated and there were certain people who didn't make it easy for me. But At one point, I just decided that, you know, my job on Top Chef was to be the audience's representative Mm. and, you know, that there were, you know, other people that were brought in and their sole job was to give the opinion of a professional, Mm -hmm. you know, so I didn't have to have the same body of knowledge. I just had to have enough knowledge and experience, which I did and which I've developed. You know, it's, it's easy for a woman, especially a woman of color when they're young and trying to make it and you're so ambitious, you know, and maybe you don't have anyone in this field around you that mm-hmm. you can ask for counsel. It's it's very easy to feel intimidated or that you don't know enough. And I've been in, in several situations in life like that. Like I didn't, I figured it out on the job and then I realized, oh, okay, I can do this job. Yeah. So how, like, do you have like any tips for anyone coming into the food world who's like, well, I don't know where to start. Like, how can I sort of do what you've done? Yeah. What I've done is find my own path. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really important. It's really hard when you don't see a lot of examples on television or in food. You know, I'm speaking about my my area of the universe and you don't see a lot of examples of women of color or you know just women like hosting shows big shows you know and I think my biggest piece of advice is find out who you are like for me the skills that my own personal history gave me a culinary education in spices and Indian food and Asian ingredients then you know my travels taking me somewhere else. Find out what you have a point of view about that is special. Mm. Find something in yourself that you can market, that you think is useful and is unique and can contribute to whatever the conversation is mm. about that topic. And that that is where you should go first. You know, I really wanted to be an actor. Mm. I have been in big movies and small movies. I have been in TV shows. And I went to theater school mm. and I did that. But, you know, at some point... Like, it just fell by the wayside. So I probably should have been doing that all along. I just didn't know, you know. I didn't take my cooking very seriously. Every woman in my family cooks. In fact, my family's not even sure I'm the best cook in the family. (laughs) So so that's what I would say. I would say find what you're naturally good at. Find what you don't mind spending hours and hours doing, Mm -hmm. i.e. find something you love and make a profession out of it. That's what I would say. And if you are interested but you don't have experience, go work for somebody. It's easy to... To starve when you're young. It's harder mm. to do that when you're older. So, you know, if you want to be in food, any kitchen will take free labor, you know, yeah. and, or, or very low paid labor. And you don't have to do it for a long time. And you have to understand that it's shit work. But, you know, it's amazing what you learn in three months. Mm-hmm. You give yourself your own boot camp and you go in there and you work hard and you say, I know this is going to suck and I'm ready for it, but here are the reasons that I'm going for this because in a year I will need the experience I have here. So I'm going to plug my nose and do this. And every time your feet hurt and you want to quit and you haven't had enough sleep and that alarm rings and 
They give you a new 25 pound bag of onions to peel <laughs> and brunoise,、yeah. which is about like the size of half a tic tac. That's what a brunoise cut is. Yeah. You remember that you are doing it because a year from now you won't have to. Ooh, I love that. That's so true. You always, you just have to like get through the sucky part, and it doesn't last as long as you、and、think no, it's gonna last. Sometimes、yeah. you just have to get through to the other side, and between you and the other side, there's a lake of shit. Yeah, and you just like <laughs> plug your nose and you swim. Yeah, and most people give up right when they're in the middle of the lake.、Mm. But just look back quickly and see how far you've come. Take a deep breath, and swim to the other side of that lake. Listen to it. Swim through the lake of shit, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Now you mentioned acting. I want to touch on that in one second, but I want to go back to one more thing about Top Chef. So one of the things I've been watching since the beginning,、mm-hmm. and I used to always wonder every time I watch an episode of Top Chef, I'm like, when you guys are, especially th- during like restaurant wars, and you're tasting all the food, how do you, how does it register? Because like I feel like my palate would be like blown out after like the first thing that I eat. It is hard. I、yeah. mean, it, you know, it, it, you do have palate fatigue. Yeah. But I will say that I'm lucky. I have an unlimited amount of appetite. Yeah. <laughs> And I am uniquely qualified to do this very arduous job、yeah. of eating my face off. Yeah. And, but it does get hard. Like I don't feel great at the end of the night. Yeah. You know, especially for restaurant wars, or especially when it's the first half of the season. And that's why I eat very cleanly when I'm not working. But you wait. You know, you learn to take small bites. You learn、yeah. that the hard way. Yeah. No one's going to feel sorry for me. It's a very high class problem to have,、yeah. but you just pace yourself. I mean, I, you got to remember, I do the quick fires too,、mm-hmm. and so you know, I'm going around tasting that, and then the very next day, I mean, it takes me just as long to detox after Top Chef as it does to film Top Chef. You know, it's just、wow. my digestive tract, and、yeah. I'm not getting enough sleep, and my feet hurt.、Uh, it took me ten seasons to get a rubber mat under my feet. I was like. On heels on that concrete kitchen. Oh yeah, I know. Note to self:、yeah. first thing to ask for <laughs> is don't stand on concrete on high heels for a long time. <laughs> um. So you mentioned uh, acting. Um. As one of the other things that you've done in your life, which、uh, is amazing, and I want to talk to you about the fact that you were in the movie Glitter. Oh God, yes, I was. <laughs> I get asked about it all the time. Yeah.、Um, well, I'm going to ask you too.、Um, Can you talk about what your experience was like on that film? Yes. Yeah. Sure. I mean, it was a long time ago.、Yeah. I was very green.、Um, Bondi Curtis Hall was the director. Very nice man.、Mm-hmm. It was obviously Mariah's first movie as well, and it was interesting. You know, I wasn't on set that long. Like、yeah. I, because I live in New York, and we shot in Toronto. I just went up、mm-hmm. for a week, did my thing, came down. So I wasn't there the whole time. You'd have to ask Debrat or、yeah. Tia Texada, but、um, it was interesting. Yeah, it was definitely interesting. I mean, again, I sing really badly, so <laughs> uniquely qualified to do that job too. Um, and it's kind of awesome to stand next to Mariah Carey. Yeah, it's it's a little like. Standing next to a unicorn, like a real unicorn with sparkles and everything,、yeah. <laughs> and she's just like suddenly, casually in her little candy wooden high heels,、yeah. like belts out this 
thing, this sound that is half knife and half sparkling diamond and yeah. all strength. You yeah. know, it's just, it really impresses me. It is like, probably what I imagine it would be like standing next to the net when Michael Jordan dunked. Mm -hmm. So it is a powerful, she's got some lungs. Yeah. It's really, really wonderful to hear her sing. And I think it was just a really hard time for her. And mm -hmm. I think that movie gets a bad rap. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, I'm not saying it was Citizen Kane, but yeah. Yeah, it was fine. Yeah. And I think it just came out 10 days after September 11th. Yeah. You know, I just think it was a bad sense of timing yeah. you know and and so i know i still have a vhs you do oh but you have to have like a viewing party <laughs> I, probably not but. yeah <laughs> um is there anything that you miss about acting you kind of like eh, I, I i enjoyed it it is what it was and then you know i mean there's so many different parts that go into mm -hmm. making a movie or a miniseries or whatever i do miss what happens when you can really relax mm -hmm. and get into your character and you're allowed to do the thing that you really wanted to do about it. You mm -hmm. know, like the thing that is really cool about acting is that it allows you to feel some of your emotions, but through the prism of someone else's personal history. That's not all acting is, but mm -hmm. you know, that is the part of it that I enjoyed most to really figure out you know, what somebody wanted the most and how I could relate that to my life and use that, you know. But I'm telling you all this, but the truth is, like, I didn't get the parts that I really wanted anyway. Mm -hmm. So that feeling was very few and far between for yeah. me. And so I was able to do the food and it was just coming at me so consistently mm -hmm. that, you know, just from you know, a life, like a real practical perspective, like I couldn't turn down that show. You yeah. know, I couldn't, uh, there's no way, like it was too good an opportunity and I'm happy. Yeah. You know? Yeah. If I ever acted again, I would love to do a play. You Ooh, know? what kind of part would you want? Um, I don't know. I yeah. mean, I, well, if I did, if I did anything on film and I don't even have to have a single line, I would just like <laughs> to be in an action movie. Yeah. I would love to think of it. They would train you and work you out for free. Yeah. You know, <laughs> when I, my first movie I did was for Italian television. It was like a real bodice heaving, swashbuckling miniseries. I played this indigenous woman. It was a pirate story set in the 1600s. And I was in Cuba for four months. Whoa. It was the best time of my life. Yeah. It was like 1997. They told me to gain weight for the role. I was in heaven and they gave me a lot of stunt training i learned how to fence i learned how to fall it was exciting that's cool mm -hmm. and you know i would love to do anything like that like something real rough and tumble um you know like a superhero movie or something but i can't complain with where i've landed yeah um i want to talk a little bit about your story because it's it's really fascinating to me and touching and um one of the aspects I like about is you talk about how much your grandparents influenced your life. And, you know, I, I want to hear more about uh, why they mean so much to you, how they have impacted your life. Um, because my mother was a single mom here mm -hmm. in New York City, you know, she needed a break. And so the minute that school got out, I would be on a plane to India from June to September. Mm -hmm. And then there were certain years that were hard for her. Um, where she was studying for her master's degree and stuff, that she sent me back 
to India for, you know, other reasons too. And so they're like third grade, I spent all in India. Um, and I think that, you know, in Indian families, our nuclear family is what most people would in the West consider an extended family. Yes. <laughs> and that's true for a lot of brown people, yeah. you know? And so like I really am heavily influenced by my grandparents. I was my grandfather's first grandchild mm-hmm. and you know, he he taught me his love of books. Mm. I think I wouldn't be able to be a writer. I wouldn't be able to do what I do without his influence. And I think my grandmother taught me about cooking. Mm. And I'm so indebted to them because it those two human beings, you know, really gave me a life, mm-hmm. gave my mother some life, you know, let her breathe and catch her breath and take a rest. And also we're like my parents, you know, and my mother gave me strength and just perseverance. And I think if you look at the details of my history, you can see a direct correlation to those three people who for me kind of are always totems. Yeah. I want to read a quote from this article you wrote for CNN about immigration because mm-hmm. I thought it was really beautiful. And you wrote, I know from experience that when a child is in her mother's arms, even in chaotic circumstances, all is right in the world. When that bond is broken, the child is unmoored. The temporary loss of my mother affected my confidence and my ability to see the world in a positive light, which is, you know, people don't really think about that. Even when they're fighting for immigration, you don't think about how deeply it affects the child. Can you talk about, like, how it changed the way you saw the world as a kid? Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I don't know any other way, Mm -hmm. but from two to four, I didn't see either of my parents. I think my mom may have visited me once, but she had to get back to the States. She was, you know, working hard, getting Mm -hmm. an apartment. Um, I think you always have a lack of safety. Mm. You have a lack of serenity that is that is not really intellectual that is much more visceral you know if you think about what makes a child nervous or what makes a child happy and confident um it's the feeling of security it's the feeling that they can relax and i think that's true for all human beings and because at that age you know you're so connected physically to your mother i mean i probably had just stopped breastfeeding like six Mm -hmm. months before or something it does really affect you. You know, there are children who have it a lot worse. There are children, you know, who are starving and have a much more uh, destructive version of what I had, mm-hmm. um, which is why what's happening at our borders, to me, breaks, I mean, it just breaks all rules of decency, mm-hmm. humanity, any kind of compassion. Yeah. Um when it comes to the topic of immigration, what is something that you think particularly people in America just should be thinking about, but they aren't? Well, you know, the reason I can tell you, mm-hmm. I mean, I started working with the ACLU a couple of years ago. I became an ambassador for them for immigration rights, um, so, you know, shortly after all this stuff started happening or that we started finding out about mm-hmm. it at least. And um, the reason that it happens and what I would ask every American to think about is that if a mother puts her child in the water, it's because it's safer than the land. Yeah. If a mother or father walks through a desert with only 
a milk bottle full of water, it's because where they've left is more dangerous. Mm. What would you do? All of us built this country. Yeah. I yeah. mean, listen, unless you are from the Cherokee Nation, yeah. you too are an immigrant. Yeah. Ooh, mic drop, y'all. Mic <laughs> fucking drop. <laughs> it just gets me yeah. really pissed because yeah. I know what it felt like to be a kid. Mm-hmm. I know what that feels like. You don't know what the hell is happening. You don't know when you're going to see your mom or dad again. You're in a strange place. You know, as a child, you have so little fucking control over anything, mm-hmm. even over what you eat. And it's very, very anxiety-causing. And that anxiety you carry with you like a shackle on your ankle for the rest of your life. Mm. Do you think you still carry some of that anxiety now? Yes. mm. Yeah, because it's not an intellectual thing. Mm -hmm. You know, it is trauma. That's exactly what it is. It is a very severe and very deep trauma that happens at a at a critical age of development psychological mm-hmm. development for mm-hmm. a child and that stuff signs you it marks you on your soul for the rest of your life and i you know i'm an adult and i'm doing well and I have people who love me and i'm safe and mm-hmm. no one's going to hurt me and you know i have the power to earn money to maintain a lifestyle for my daughter and i and i can help other people but even i still I'm always a little scared. I'm always a little Mm. jumpy. Like, is all this going to be taken away from me? And I think that's what I was talking about in that Mm op-ed. You know, I don't, if you've never known serenity, um, you know, until you're (laughs) an adult, you don't know how to recognize it, you know? Yeah. Um, What was it like growing up in New York? Did you enjoy being in New York? I love, yeah. When people ask me where I'm from, I say, I'm Indian, but Mm -hmm. my home is New York. You know, I'm a New Yorker through and through. I grew up in this city um, roller skating all over, you know, Manhattan. And that's how I grew up here. New York is a great place to grow up as Mm -hmm. a kid. There's so much to do. You become much more independent because you don't have to be chauffeured everywhere, right? You can go there on your own after a certain age. I mean, now they have Uber, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. My daughter asked me if we could take an Uber <laughs> instead of her taking the school bus. And I, I said, no. <laughs> I said, I'm not sending you an Uber every day. And she said, well, dad does. I said, great. Yeah. Guess what? You're not a dad. <laughs> Get on that bus. <laughs> Can you imagine? So, no, Krishna, get on the bus. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Can you talk a little bit about motherhood and how that's going for you and how you're enjoying it? So far, so good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I always really knew that I wanted to be a mother, mm-hmm. and then I was told I couldn't be a mother. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that was a very dark period, um, especially after I had tried not to get pregnant all my life until then. Yeah. I was like, well, that was a waste. But, um, <laughs> but you know, I was very thankful that she arrived, and mm-hmm. she is the light of my life. And, and I knew I wanted to be a mom, but I didn't know it would be so much fun. Mm. Um, I enjoy her company immensely, and I would rather be hanging out with her than doing almost anything. And we love to cook together. We love to do each other's makeup. We, you know... Soon we'll be borrowing each other's clothes, which would be scary. (laughs) Um, But, you know, she's she's tall and opinionated Mm -hmm. and funny. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I told her that's good because beauty is skin deep. But 
boring is to the bone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I think especially because you modeled for a bit and I, I think you sort of kind of felt like, oh, this isn't as fulfilling as, you know. Well, it's no accomplishment yeah. of your own. I mean, you know, it's the alchemy of your parents' genetics. Mm-hmm. It has nothing to do with you. I mean, it's not. You know, at some point in your life, you have to do something of value, Mm -hmm. something that's more than just existing. Yeah. But were there any, like, amazing pinch-me moments from when you were modeling where you were like, this is pretty badass? Yeah, Yeah. it was all badass. I mean, I, you know, I walked the runway in Paris and Milan and New York. Like, my first show in New York was for Ralph Lauren. Wow. And Isaac Mizrahi. And, you know, in France, I did shows for, you know, Emmanuel Ungro and Romeo Julie. And that was, like, very exciting. Mm-hmm. That was just, like, playing out, oh, my God, this is glamorous, yeah. you know. <laughs> and, you, you know, I didn't have any money until I was in my 20s and I had mm-hmm. started modeling. And most of my friends hadn't paid their college loans off as fast. It was clearly only because I had modeled mm-hmm. and... For me, that life was so removed. My mother is a nurse. I mean, she's retired now, but she's a a nurse. And my stepdad's a plumber. And, you know, this was so... I was on the moon as far as I was concerned. Yeah. Um, I mean, shooting with people like Helmut Newton, that's mm-hmm. a pinch me moment. And he had such an effect on me, or such a profound effect on me. Beyond oh, how, what? Shooting. how so? Well, before Helmut shot with me, mm-hmm. I would do a lot of shows but they would be like, she's pretty, but make sure she has long sleeves because of my scar, mm. you know? And so I would do work here and there, and I made a lot of money as a fit model. That You know, being a fit model is like the lowest rung of modeling, where you're just like a human hanger for the designer who's designing the collection. Just make sure the clothes move well and whatever. But I did do fashion shows here and there and stuff. And then about like a year or a year and a half into being a model, Helmut Newton... Um, found me and he wanted to shoot with me and at first I canceled on him because it was a really? nude shoot and I chickened out. Oh god! Because I'd never done a nude would, shoot before. I would cancel that too. That's I scary. I know, but it's Helmut Newton and that's what everyone <laughs> kept telling me. I was an idiot, you know, especially my agent. And I was like, oh well. And then my boyfriend at the time, he ha- I remember this was one of the few good things he'd ever said, which was, um, you know, don't do it unless you feel comfortable because the pictures won't be good. Mm. You know, and you don't want to do a bad job for a genius like that or whatever so I said no and then everybody was mad at me (laughs) and then like three weeks later or six weeks later I can't remember now it was so long ago his agent called back and he said well what if she doesn't have to be totally nude and I said, okay, you know, yeah. <laughs> and, and so I had very long hair then. And so it's kind of covering me and, you know, he loved the scar and the scar was the star of this picture. And then yeah. we also did a calendar together and, um, you know, all of a sudden they were checking my sleeves, but they were making sure they were short because they wanted everyone to know it was me, that girl with the scar yeah. under all that makeup. Because the models look the same, you right. know, especially if you're not like a super famous model. No mm. one knows what you look like. Yeah. Um, and my career really overnight changed wow. after he shot with me. And so that's when I really started working. That's cool. I just love the part of your story that you got discovered in a cafe like that's so cool. <laughs> no one ever. They're like, oh, you have tissue at the bottom of your shoe in the cafe. Like, that's the only time I ever get stopped. <laughs> like, you want to clean up your shoes? And I'm like, oh, cool. <laughs> but um, 
Yeah, it was weird. I mean, I went to a cafe with my friend who had graduated from college already because I was on a study abroad program. I just need to get out of Dodge. And yeah. my last semester, I'd finagled myself into some Spanish-speaking program. I had zero years of Spanish yeah. before this. <laughs> and I went to Madrid, and um, I took Spanish there from like 9 to 1 p.m. And I had one friend who graduated with an exchange student, and he showed me around. He was really sweet in Santiago um, took me to a bar called, like a bar cafe mm-hmm. called Zarabanda. I still remember the name. And I met this very beautiful, blonde haired, blue eyed man who was an ex model, but was now a very powerful agent. And his name was Fernando Marino. Mm. And he said, you know, you can model. And I said, oh, I'm not ruining my GPA in the last semester. <laughs> and then he was like, really? He said, because I have this job. I think you'd be perfect for it. And he told me how much I could make. And I said, I think I can make an exception. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it was really a blessing. But it was lonely. Mm. And it was sad. And it was, you know, a very uncertain time. Mm. But I do think that the, my spending my 20s in Italy is really where I blossomed as a woman. You know, it was a good place to sow your wild oats. I worry about young women today. I have two or three women that I'm close to who are in their 20s. And, you know, I just mentor them and I, like, see what, what their worries are and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's hard. Like, you couldn't do half the shit I did now because yeah. there are too many phone cameras. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you yeah. know, I mean, my, you know, I had a friend who was teasing me, like, you're giving all these speeches. Are you going to, you know, are you ever going to go into, like, government service? I said, hell no. There's yeah. too many nude pictures on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Probably shouldn't have said that. That would be no. <laughs> You know, yeah, and I had my fun. Yeah, I did. I was, you know, I was fully in the 90s. <laughs> yeah, I love that. <laughs> now, I, I want to switch gears because, uh, you know, I, I, I love your work as a writer. I love how you Thank speak you. about immigration. And I also love all the work that you've been doing around endometriosis. Mm-hmm. I think it's so important because it's still not talked about enough. A lot of people still don't really know much about it a lot of doctors yeah which is scary yeah it's totally crazy i mean the fact that i was in pain for 23 years without Mm. a proper diagnosis pissed me off not until i got the help and saw what life was like on the other side Mm. of that you know as a healthier you know woman yeah and I was I was just astonished at how unnecessary all that strife was. Um, and so I started speaking up about it. And we, you know, it's actually our 10th anniversary this year. Congratulations. Of, um, starting the foundation. Thank you. Um, that's great. You know, we were able to open a center for gynopathology at mm-hmm. MIT with Harvard Medical School. It, was the f- it is the first one of its kind. Um, and it's exciting because yeah. there was no other way I was going to get into third year chemistry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, now like all these researchers like actually listen to me. And, yeah. you know, I think this is true for a lot of women who have had health crises. You become an expert in your mm-hmm. own condition because no one will listen to you. And we need to start listening to women about a whole host of things. And uh, we wanted to be like really on the ground. Mm-hmm. And we've had medical conferences. My mom helped me with the first nurses conference along with my roommate in college. You know, Sharon felt bad. She said, I never believed you either. Yeah. I thought you were a drama queen. I said, I am, but I was in pain. And um, so, you know, now she's a nurse practitioner and, and it's wonderful. Yeah. And so what would you say, how did your relationship to your body change once you found out what was going on? Because you must have been like, 
what the hell? Why am I always in pain? Like, were you like angry at your body? And then once you realized yeah. what it was, you were like, oh, that's, you know. Yeah. I, well, you know, for one, I I knew finally got proof that I wasn't crazy, mm. you know, because that's another reason you have low self-esteem. You're like, what's wrong with me that I can't handle one of the most natural things that happens to every female mammal on the planet? You know, yeah. when your girlfriend or your roommate takes two Advil and pops a little tampon in her back pocket for later, you're like, well, you know, mm-hmm. I was bedridden. I was bedridden for like four days. I, um, you know, it's a different landscape than than when I was in my 20s, like bowled over, like doubled over in the corner crying, going, oh, my God, I can't feel my leg. Oh, my gosh. Wow. It sucked. Yeah. Girl, I need you to run for her. No, <laughs> I told you too many, too many pictures out there. <laughs> well, you know, you seem very, you know, regal and posh. So what's I'm I'm deep down a trash person. Like I like sort of like just kind of lame things. What's mm-hmm. like something kind of trashy that you're into when you're not off writing books? Corn dogs. Really. <laughs> I like corn dogs with mustard. I like hot dogs with mustard, relish, and ketchup. I don't know what what's trashy. Um, I watch Hoarders. Oh, <laughs> that's um, a good one. I love um, what's that? What Forensic Files? I can oh, on no. a JetBlue flight from here to LA. I can watch five and a half hours of um, Forensic Files until my <laughs> eyes are bloodshot and I can't close them anymore because they're so dry. Yeah. I have a lot of trash yeah. um, capability. You know, I just don't consider it trash. Yeah. I, you know, I, I think it's all good. Late yeah. at night when you're watching TV, a corn dog and a bowl of mustard is all you need. Oh, that sounds great. <laughs> okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that tonight. <laughs> well, I, I thank you so much for, for hanging out with me. This has been so great. Oh, thank you so much. Mwah. I wish you much success. Thank I'm very you. happy that your show exists. Guys, didn't I tell you the truth? That was a great interview. Also, my favorite fun fact from this interview is that um, SOBs, which is where she talked about, like, going dancing when she was in college, is where WNYC has their staff holiday party. (laughs) Really? Yeah. (laughs) Which, like, in terms of, like, the opposite energies of, like, cool excitement (laughs) dance and then, like, public radio producers eating crudite. (laughs) (laughs) How Things have changed. I know. It's <laughs> wild. It's wild. I love her. I do, too. Well, thanks so much for listening, you guys. And Johnny Mitch, I don't know about you, but I'm inspired. Me, too. I She's incredible. Yeah. She can do it all. And guess what? So can you guys. So get out there and do it. The So Many White Guys team includes Amory Baldonado, Joanna Salataroff, Paula Schumann, Joe Plord, Kiga Zima, Isaac Jones, Nora Wazwaz, and moi, Phoebe Robinson. Our theme song was written by a white dude and sung by a bunch of other white dudes. You can find some hot content of me and Padma on Twitter at WNYC Studios. You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Dope Queen Thieves. And if you still can't get enough of me, I'm going on the road with my stand-up tour. It's called Sorry Harriet Tubman. It's hilarious. So go to PhoebeRobinson.com, find out where I'm going, and go get your tickets now. I'll be in Boston. I'll be in Atlanta, San Francisco, Sacramento, Nashville, all the places. So come see me. I don't want to see no empty seats. 
Every show better be fucking sold out. Okay, bye.